0: Boy, that was weak. Let's welcome 2024. Some of you, I was with you last year. You ought to be excited because you barely made it. <laughs> like you limping into 2024. You you, you are hobbled, but you made it. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're still breathing. We're still six feet above and not six feet under. Amen. That's your testimony. I'm still here. Amen. There's a... Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of changes going to be coming, obviously, because that's, that's what happens every year. we got a lot of anticipation, right? You're, you're all going to lose 50 pounds, and, and you're going to save $500,000 and pay off all your bills. That's what's going to happen every new year, right? Like, like you got to be positive. I mean, you haven't given up yet. It's only, what, the 7th? How you doing on them New Year's resolutions? You made it seven days yet? I hear by your laughter that some of you have already flunked. Praise the Lord. Uh, we, we preached uh, New Year's Eve, and if you weren't here, uh, the Lord did give me a word for this year, and, and you're probably going to be hearing it a lot, and that word is advance. And there's, there's, there's some things I have to deal with spiritually. There's some concepts and ideas that I have to come to grips with with God before I'm going to be able to adequately present them to you. But I, I know that, that what we've already seen, and, and we started with 13 people, when we moved here, uh, but I know that what we've already seen isn't where God has taken us to. So there's got to be changes made, and I don't think it's going to happen in the next 12 months or the next 51 weeks, but I know we're already laying the groundwork. When when God spoke advance to me, uh, things, things are going to look different and be different in the future. I don't know how far in the future, but I know that, like, this building can't hold what God's doing. And we already outgrew the one we were in, and this one's not going to be able to hold it either. And uh, I, I don't know when it's going to come to pass, but I'm just putting that out there, that advance means something different to everybody. And, and what, whatever it is that God is bringing you to and whatever he's preparing you for won't look like your neighbor. So you're not going to be able to swap notes. You're not going to be able to lean on each other other than for encouragement. So this is my first sermon, technically, uh, of, of this 24 year. I know we've already been in church, uh, but, but this is my first time that I get to address you. And I'm already working on the next three or four sermons, and, and, and I'm, all, I'm keeping that in mind, the advance theme. Uh, there's going to be some things coming in the next couple of weeks that's going to be uh, healing for a lot of people. This morning, I, I, uh, me and the Holy Spirit got together a few weeks ago, and we started, I started talking about, uh, in my prayer time, what exactly uh, we should kick off 2024 talking about. So I, th- I thought I would talk about the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> if, you go to, if you go over to Scotland, you know, there's this, there's this mythical creature, Right? It's called the Loch Ness Monster. And for years and years and decades and decades, people have believed that Nessie lives in, in, in this body of water. And there's supposedly these pictures, and people have claimed to be bumped in their boat while they were out. And, and then, of course, when I was growing up in the hills and hollers of West Virginia, we were always worried about Bigfoot. We'd camp out in the woods when I was a little kid, and we, we had another mythical creature, right? It was called Bigfoot. And I guess out in the Pacific Northwest, they have their own uh, version of that. They they, they have their own Bigfoots out there. And then, of course, up north, they have something called the Abominable Snowman. But there's another mythical creature that is more wide known and and even more well known than than those. And that is the Hard-Headed Husband. Now, ladies, I said he was a mythical creature. Don't get excited. I'm making this stuff up. This isn't real life. She said, want to bet? I want to talk about stubborn husbands. They're a mythical creature. They're supposedly real, but we all know there's no such things. They're like leprechauns. They don't exist. <laughs> but I'm going to put a twist on the sermon today because as we start a new year, I want to project something to you because I realize how easy it is for us to get excited about new beginnings and new years and setting goals and we're going to accomplish all these things, but... Things look a lot different in May than they do in January. Somebody I say, "Hey, man, like, like it, it, we start out of the gate real good. We're 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 good out of the gate, but not so good with endurance sometimes. And along the way, we've lost some folks, and I don't mean that they went onto their reward. It's just people drop out, they drop off. They 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 were in your life in seasons past, and now you don't even know where they were. Maybe they were dedicated to the church for years and years and years, and now we can't locate them and What happens to these people? Why I wanted to start this year with a prescription. And that prescription is going to be well received by the husbands in the room. Because you ladies already think that they've already taken a dose of it. My sermon this morning is called Permission to be Stubborn. Permission to be Stubborn. Stubborn. And my sermon text is going to come out of the book of Acts, chapter 20. If you've got a Bible and would like to follow along, Acts chapter 20. I, th- I thought I might get some of the uh, brothers to get excited right there when I gave you the sermon title because you're you'd be nudging your wife saying you you listen to this man this morning. I've got I got permission from the pastor. He's writing me a prescription. To be stubborn, but the fact is, I'm going, to, I'm going to give this permission to all of you this morning, and as the morning goes on, we're going to learn exactly what it is I mean. I'm going to ask you if you would I know uh, you were standing a long time for worship, but we like to honor the Word of God in this house. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with us as I, I read a few texts, and it will be on the wall behind me if you don't have a copy of the Bible with you. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. From Miletus, he he is Paul. Just so you know, uh, for the context of what I'm going to be preaching this morning. He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials. Does that sound like 2023 to anybody? I served the Lord with humility, Pastor, but it was with tears and trials. Anybody serving the Lord through tears? I mean, sometimes you just crying and praying. Does anybody know what that feels like? Uh, he said, I, I served the Lord with humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Now, I don't have time to preach this, but he was a Jew. You know, it's one thing when your enemies attack you. But it hurts a whole nother level when it's your own folks. And that's what he's saying here. He said, he said these, these tears and trials that happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying of Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 22 says, and see, now I... It's not going to get any better. 2023, I was in tears and trials. 2023, I was doing the best I could to hold on. And now, and that's where you expect me as a Pentecostal preacher to and shout and sweat and stomp and snort and tell you how much better and brighter your next days will be. But here's what Paul says. And now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life Dear to myself so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. <laughs> Father, may you add your anointing to this, your preached word today. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus so that it's not me and or my eloquence or my ability. But God, it is your anointing that is going forth to prepare every heart and every Uh, Soul and every mind and every set of ears to receive this morning exactly what heaven would proclaim to them and let us leave differently than we came in in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord and the church said Amen you can be seated in his presence I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory here to Paul's journey that has led him to Acts chapter 20. In the previous chapters of Acts, Paul has moved around what we call Asia Minor in those days. He has moved from Athens to Corinth. He's been preaching in synagogues. Now here's the thing you need to know about the Apostle Paul. Everywhere he went, there was one of two results. Either revival or riot. He was either winning souls or he was going to prison where he was winning souls. Paul was constantly doing what he just told us. He was going from place to place with one mission to proclaim the gospel. And he was preaching in Jewish synagogues. And many of the Jews were believing on Jesus Christ and becoming saved. Now, I don't have time to get into this. But when your job is dependent on people staying Jew... And somebody's preaching in your synagogue and getting people to believe another religion. Well, that's not nice. What happens if they all turn to this Christianity? What happens to us who depend on them for our living if all of these believers start following this man named Jesus, who, by the way, we thought we got rid of when we crucified him? We killed him to get him to shut up, and now his followers are talking. And that's where, Je- that's where we find Paul. He's moving around. If you wonder why he's moving so much, it's because he's being chased. Every town he goes to, the Jews there don't appreciate him rever- uh, converting the other Jews. Paul went to Syria with a, a man and a wife uh, called Priscilla and Aquila. Bible says he got a haircut. I don't know why I need to know. That Paul got a haircut? I'm not sure, but it's in there. He sailed to Caesarea, where the Bible says he met a great preacher named Apollos. Now, the Bible calls Apollos eloquent. Yeah, he's not like your pastor at all. He's an eloquent speaker. Uh, Paul goes to Ephesus, where he meets some disciples, and he asked them this famous question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered him and said, we did not even know there was a a thing called the Holy Spirit. Then he preaches for three months more in the synagogue there in Ephesus. He stirs up a fight by doing dastardly deeds, like working miracles. It, it was, it, it's amazing how the things that we ask God to do got Paul in trouble. Paul was so anointed that one time he was preaching and sweating, and they took the sweat rags from him, and took them to sick people and people that had demonic spirits. And those sweat rags from Paul made people well and drove out demons. It's amazing how anointed Paul was, but those same miracles was also what got Paul in trouble. He, he came uh, upon seven sons of Sceva. You remember that story. Uh, and, and these uh, seven sons of a high priest, they They got faced with a demon, and the demons spoke to them and said, Hey, we don't know who you are, but we know Jesus, and we know Paul. Man, how powerful do you have to be for demons in hell to know your name? I mean, Paul was powerful. He was so well known that demons were walking the streets saying, Watch out for Paul. Now, there was a riot that erupts in Ephesus because of Paul's miracles, and so Paul leaves, and he ends up in Troas. Now, now what happens in Troas is, listen, as powerful as Paul was, he wasn't a very good preacher. Because he goes to Troas, and he's preaching at midnight. You think my sermons are long. He's preaching at midnight. On the third floor, a brother is leaning against the window and falls asleep, as most of you would do at midnight. The brother falls out the window, breaks his neck, and dies. That's how terrible of a preacher Paul is. But Paul is also so powerful, he runs down to the street, lays hands on the dead boy, brings him back to life, And goes back and finishes his sermon. Bible says he finished preaching at daybreak. So he got so excited about raising the dead, he went back and finished his message. And don't you know, nobody else fell asleep at night. And we pick him up here in Acts chapter 20 at Miletus, where he starts testifying about everything that has happened to him. And here's what he says. He says, the Holy Ghost is making me go to Jerusalem. Now, We're Pentecostals in this church, and I know some of you may or may not know what that is or what you walked into this morning. But as Pentecostals, we believe that the Holy Spirit is still active and working in the world. We believe that he works through us and works in us while he's working on us. That's what Pentecostals are. Uh, So sometimes we get a little bit, I don't know, excited. That's a good word. Crazy was what I was going to go with, but excited sounds more churchy. You, what, what, what appears weird to you is the Holy Spirit, I hope. But, but we as Pentecostals, we're often making claims about the Holy Ghost, right? We talk about how the Holy Ghost leads us beside still waters. We talk about how the Holy Ghost leads us into blessing. We talk about how the Holy Ghost leads us into healing. But Brother Paul said, I'm being led by the Holy Ghost into chains and tribulations. How come none of us are feeling led to that? I've had people being led to ministry. I've had people being led to financial breakthrough. But I ain't never had nobody come to me and say, I feel led to chains. I feel led to prison. Those of you that do feel led to prison ministry always want out. Paul said, I have been through so much. I've been through shipwrecks. My own people have turned on me. I've been stoned almost to death three times. Paul wasn't a big man. He was a small man. He was he was a little, history tells us Paul was not a, a brawny worker like Peter, who who was constantly pulling up fish nets. Peter was probably more muscular and built like that. Paul Paul was a small man. He, 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 he looked a little bit funny. We're told that people made fun of him uh, by his physical appearance. Paul was not striking. He certainly wasn't handsome like, like Absalom, and he wasn't big and muscular uh, like Samson. Paul, Paul was an average man, but he was probably on the smallish side. He was an older man. He, 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 he did not strike somebody as a physically imposing force, so people felt comfortable beating him and stone. Him and rejecting him and lying and scandalizing him. And Paul said, I have been through all of these things for doing nothing wrong but preaching the gospel. And then he lays this line on us, but none of it moves me. Some of you quit because somebody didn't shake your hand at the front door one Sunday. And Paul said, I have almost died for this thing. I have almost, I have been put in prison. I have been shipwrecked. I have been beat nearly to death. But none of that will move me. None of that will make me back down. I'm not big. I'm not strong. I'm not gigantic. I'm not forceful. But I have something inside of me that will not let me quit until the job is done. He said the stuff that is happening to me isn't tough enough to move me off my assignment. And and, and that's what I want to talk to you about this first Sunday get-together that we have for this new year. I want to give you permission to be stubborn. And the reason I want to do that is because, just like Paul, there are some things that if they're not already present in your life, they're coming. I, I, I already know this is not going to be smooth sailing this year. I don't know if you know it or not, but there's some political stuff that has to happen toward the end of this year. God help us all. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> and, and give me some earmuffs in the process. Just, just let me check out for about 11 months. I'll be all right, okay? Uh, I just, I just want to get lost in you, Lord. I don't want to have nothing to do with all the rest of the craziness and the foolishness that is sure to ensue uh, in this coming year. So, so I want to warn you. Before I give you permission to be stubborn, i want to warn you why I'm doing it. The reason is because the Apostle Paul faced some things that was trying to move him off his assignment. And there are some specific things that are going to come against you. That are going to try to move you in 2024 off of what God has assigned as your destiny. And these same things are on a mission to move you. So I'm going to give them to you. Because it's not going to be the big things. It's not going to be political. It's not going to be COVID. It's not going to be uh, your divorce. Those are big things. But the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's, It's the small things that you don't pay as much attention to that ends up corrupting what it is you're trying to accomplish. And maybe I'm in the wrong room this morning, but is there anybody that wants to accomplish everything that God has for their life this year. Okay, I got a few of it. All right. all right. right, we, we, I'm in the right place. I was just wondering because before I give you this, I want to make sure that there's some of you that not only are on assignment but have decided you're going to complete this thing. I don't, I don't want to be moved. I don't want to back up. As a matter of fact, I, take, take, take it from me, I've backed up all I'm backing up. I, I found out that a few years ago I did shirk back from some things. I probably backed down from some things. I didn't want to ruffle too many feathers. I didn't want to upset too many people's apple carts. But I decided that with the strength of the Holy Ghost behind me, I've backed up all I'm backing up. I've gave up all the land I'm giving up. And I'm going to press on even if I've got to go by myself. So, so I'm gonna give you a list. Number one, things that are trying to move you, bitterness. I started the list with bitterness because it's probably the most prevalent in people's lives. It's splitting families, it's splitting churches, and it's causing people all kinds of problems. Because when you hold bitterness against somebody who hurt you, please hear me, I'm not here to diminish your pain, I'm not here to tell you that you should just forget whatever it was they did. I'm telling you that holding bitterness won't help it, it only hurts you. They're sleeping good at night. You're the one tore up from this thing. You need to make sure bitterness doesn't move you this year. Number two, selfishness. I want this to be the most generous year that we've ever had. Uh, yes, absolutely. Not just me personally, but this church. I, I, I want to just go ahead and, and, and let uh, put hell on notice because heaven already knows. Uh, December of, of this past month, we broke our all-time giving record. We broke our all-time attendance record in the month of December. This church has been in existence since the 1970s, and God's doing a new thing here. And we're not about to be selfish with it. We just we give stuff away. We help people because that's what we should be doing. If you don't use your time and your money and your resources for anybody besides you, you're selfish. And selfishness will move you off of God's assignment because if God can't get it through you, he won't give it to you. Uh, So in other words, if you live your life for you and your immediate family and never consider the needs of others, you're not going to be moved into your assignment. Number three, busyness. And this one's important because we all are busy. Some of us have two, three jobs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about no matter how busy you are, you better find some time to get along with Jesus. Because busyness will rob you. It will move you out of a right relationship with God. You can be doing all good things. You may not be sinning. You may not be falling apart. You can be doing positive things. I'm helping them. I'm working my job. But if you get so busy that you don't spend any time with the Lord, just you and Him alone, because you have filled your schedule with everything else, you're going to soon find yourself moved off your assignment. Which leads us to number four. Neglect. When you neglect to pray, when you neglect the Scriptures, when you neglect coming to church, neglect will move you. Because You need the Word to oxygenate your spirit. You don't neglect your body when it says, I want to sleep, you lay down. When your body says, I'm hungry, you go to McDonald's. You don't neglect your physical body. Don't neglect your spirit self either. Number five, and this one's going to be important in a politically charged year. Do not let yourself take the low road. I got one amen in the whole building. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. You wear his name. Don't allow yourself to get caught up defaming or misrepresenting the character of other people. They can be as wrong as two left shoes, but it's not necessarily your job to call them out on it. So you need to make sure that, that if you have a problem with somebody, you follow Matthew 18. You go to them directly. You talk to them face to face. You don't throw veiled insults at them on Facebook. I ain't going to get no help in this room this morning. You don't just go on with passive aggressiveness on your social medias and let them have it without calling them out. No, no, no. If you've got a problem with people, the Bible says you go to them face to face and you air out your problems to them. That's the way you biblically handle it. Don't take the low road. You're going to be surrounded in this world by folks who love the low road. They love insults. They love criticism. They love critiquing other people. Don't allow yourself to be moved to the low road. Number six, Worldliness. Don't come to church on Sunday and love Jesus, but love shady stuff the other six days of the week. That's you think that that's moving you. You haven't even been moved to salvation yet. The Bible says that you can't serve two masters. So, so if you're in love with the world, the Bible says that is enmity against God. So don't don't fall into worldliness. Also. And this one's going to become important because I believe there'll be upticks and people be trying to, to, to do this very thing. Number seven, isolation. Don't allow yourself to become a Lone Ranger believer. Don't allow yourself to have uh, uh, no fellowship with other believers. Hear me, this is a big room. It's a lot bigger than the room we used to have. Our church that we used to have would just about fit in the center section of this room. But just because you come to this big room on Sunday does not mean you're not still alone. You can slip in here late, you can leave out of here early and never connect with anyone else, but you need fellowship. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. The Bible says that you and I are supposed to be uh, entrusted with one another, that we're supposed to be uh, tuned to the same spirit which draws us together under the same Tent. So just because you come to church on Sunday doesn't mean you have proper fellowship. You need to find relationships within the body of Christ. Number eight, jealousy. Jealousy will move you off your assignment because you get your eyes on what other folks have instead of the blessings God's pouring into your life. Don't allow envy to move you. Because when you engage, you know what happens when you get uh, uh, jealous or envious of someone else, the next step is slander. Because you don't like that they have what you don't, so you have to start trying to knock them down a notch or two. It's not your job to knock people down. It's your job to pick people up. We're in the lifting business, not in the knocking down business. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Uh-huh. Number nine, Pride. Don't let pride move you. My mother used to have very enduring terms that she used for me when I was a little boy. She was such a loving and nurturing mother. She used words that really built up my, my self esteem. Words like hard headed, <laughs> numb skull. She used to, that, those, Gene <laughs> Mitchum was so kind and calm. I, <laughs> I was her last child, you could tell. She wasn't expecting to have a baby at 40. She'd already raised several. She was done. I, I was, I, not only was I a child of the 80s, which we were feral anyway. We were just turned out at the beginning of the day and brought, and we came back in whenever we felt like we was done for the day. We raised ourselves, came home from school. Nobody there, cooked our own meals, tried not to burn the house down. We were already feral. But my mother went one step further. Even when she was around, I was on my own. Because my mom and dad had the concept of, like I was still can remember swinging on the doors of the cabinet in the kitchen, which was loaded with silverware and knives and all sorts of menacing things that, you know, when your child gets hold of it, he said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. My dad's solution was, let him pull it over on his head. He won't do it but once. That's what, happens. That's what happens when you're full of pride. You pull stuff over on your head. Hopefully you learn your lesson. You only do it once. But let this be your notice this year to not get so full of pride. Because what happens, and this is going to be where I go with the rest of my message, what happens with pride is you get so engrossed with what's happening to you that you blame everyone except you. This is what's wrong with being moved by pride. Because when I am full of pride, I can be detrimental to my own journey, but I refuse to take responsibility for my actions. So I blame my boss. I blame my ex-spouse. I blame my mom and dad. I blame the pastor. I blame the government. I blame Somebody has to be wrong here, and it can't be me because I'm too prideful to believe it can be me. And pride always leads, and all of these, nine, always leads to this last thing that's going to try to move you. And this is where I'm going to spend the rest of the time I have with you. Discouragement. If there's one one weapon that the enemy uses more effectively than others in this generation, it's offense. But if there's one thing that we use against ourselves, it's discouragement. Do you remember when, those of you that are at least my age or older, do you remember when people were generally happy? Like, like, did I make that up? Like, I remember people, like, I remember being in school. God help me say this with tact. I've I've raised three kids. I'm almost done. Ah. I've been raising kids for 30 years 30 30 It's not been a day Since I was 19 years old That I didn't raise a kid I thought I would kill the first two Because I didn't We earned Hannah Hannah was a child Heaven gave us Because I didn't murder the first two so, so, so thanks be unto God, he took mercy on our souls and gave us, if we had to have a third one and my life, had to have another one. Thank God it's Hannah. But we're almost done. I can see the finish line. It's been like a long, long marathon. And I'm thinking, where can I move where they can't find me? I'll be like, they can Facebook message me if they need me, but they won't know the address. today, like I've been talking, I, you know, Alyssa is 30 and Jared will be 25 this year and, and Hannah's 17. So we've, we've been raising kids for a long time and I've watched the progression of misery in these children. When I was in school, when you were in school, didn't y'all like laugh? Punch each other in the arm and have, like we're gonna go out and play and stuff. Kids today are I don't know, whatever, who cares? And, and I don't know where it came from. I watched it with Alyssa's generation, then I saw it in Jared's, and now I'm watching it even more with with Alyssa. Discur- or Hannah. Discouragement has just consumed a generation. But by the way, it's not just in the schools. It's not just in that generation. Adults are miserable today, too. Now, I, I'm not pretending to, that everything was pushing up petunias and turning up tulips when I was a child and all the the, uh, adults had everything figured out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that people used to at least enjoy things. But now everybody is so discouraged, so depressed, so full of anxiety that we are discouraged to the degree that we drop out. We're dropping out of families, we're dropping out of careers, we're dropping out of church, we're dropping out of things that need us, like our children. Like we just give up because we're discouraged. I want to help you this morning. I want to give you permission to be stubborn because this is the kind of stuff you're going to face that is so tough and so difficult that you're going to come out on the other side and you're going to be like, what was that? Like you survived, but you got like a black eye and your knees are bloody and you're like, how did I make it through? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like this is the stuff that you get through and you make it because you're tough. But while you were going through it, you thought you might not survive it. You know what I'm talking about. If you are too discouraged, you'll never make it. Some battles are so difficult you will quit if you're not determined to be stubborn. So, so let, me, let me help you, and I'll get out of your way in just a minute, because we all have some things that come against us in life. People aren't fair. The economy is, what are eggs now, like $17 a dozen? Like It's not fair. Like it's, it, it, the chicken ain't working any harder. Right? Like I grew up on a farm. I know what it takes to collect them things. No, ain't, ain't, ain't nobody going out there and standing on their head collecting eggs. You still do it the same way. You go out there and you just take it. Okay? It, they, they're not worth what they... That's not fair. Some of you dealing with illness, you know. Uh, it, it's not fair that a 17-year-old is uh, having a three-hour seizure. And people are coming in talking about places and brains and worrying about long-term effects. That's not... That's not fair. Do you know how easy it is to get discouraged when life's not fair? Well, I don't mean to bring you down. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer this morning, but I'm going to tell you, life's not fair. I don't know who sold you on the idea that it should be, but it's not fair. And it never will be fair. So you can't be weak and give up because the things you want to happen isn't happening on your timetable because some of your enemies will be stubborn And you have to be more stubborn than they are. That means you are going to have to outwork and outlast some of the stuff that comes against you. Now sometimes it feels like God has forgotten us. Sometimes it feels like our situations, we're drowning in them because God is not there with us. But I'm going to tell you something. God will still turn your situation around. But if he's not changing it, it must be because he's changing you. And and, and this is, the the example that I'm going to use this morning, besides Paul, is I'm going to talk to you about David. Now, last year I did a whole series on the life of David. And, And so those of you that were here back then, you should be able to draw this conclusion. David whooped Goliath in five minutes. He walked into a valley, he took one stone, put it in his sling, and slung it at Goliath. The Bible says it sunk deep into his forehead, and Goliath came down. No big deal. Would to God that all your giants would fall like that. But as soon as David defeated Goliath, he got famous. And his notoriety earned him a position on the worship team at the palace. And Saul, the king, wouldn't fall as easy as Goliath did. Saul got jealous of David. Saul had an evil spirit. Saul tried to kill David, and when David ran from him, he lived for years in caves, running from town to town, city to city, hillside to valleys, hiding from his enemy Saul. Do you think that Saul is a better warrior than Goliath? No. Saul hid from Goliath. Go back and read the story. Saul would not fight Goliath. Saul was afraid of Goliath. If God wanted to, he could have brought Saul down as quickly as he did Goliath. So if he defeats Goliath in your life, why does he let Saul stick around so long? See, some of you, all that's a revelation to you because you're like, I've been praying and this thing's not easy. I've been praying and they're not well. They didn't get healed. My marriage is still... Funky, I, I still don't get the promotion. I, got, I lost my job. I don't know if I can pay my bills. You're praying and you're thinking God's supposed to kill every op- opponent like he did Goliath. And you need to know how to hold on through your Saul season. I, I almost called this sermon your Saul season. Because Goliath fell so fast it'll spoil you. You think you're supposed to be able to bring that addict up here and lay hands on them and boom, the addiction is gone. You're supposed to bring cancer up to the front and we lay hands on them and boom, it's gone. And sometimes it happens that way. But those moments spoil you into believing it should all work like that. But how do you hold on, child of God, through your Saul season? How do you hold on when you are up against an enemy that doesn't fall At the first rock you throw. For some victories we have to prove that we will do the right thing when the wrong thing is happening. David ran from cave to cave, cave to cave. Now listen, God had already promised David, you are going to be the king. You are going to be the king. He had a promise from God. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? He had a promise to God from God. It would have been very easy for David to get discouraged and say, God, where's my promise? You told me I was gonna be king and this king's trying to kill me. I'm living in this stinky cave. I've got the Bible says that all the men that came and joined them was broke, depressed, and angry. So now I gotta spend nights alone in a cave with a bunch of smelly-footed men who ain't got no money and are depressed and defeated. Thanks, God. This doesn't look like your promise. It'd be real easy to get discouraged. During that season. Because you got it easy against Goliath. But what do you do in your Saul season? Many people get discouraged. Throw in the towel. And quit. I tried praying. It didn't work. I tried church. It didn't help. And they quit. I want to give you permission to be stubborn. Because Saul is a stubborn enemy. Saul is a stubborn opponent. And you have to be more stubborn than he is. And David. Listen. David had an opportunity to kill Saul in a cave, but he did the right thing. David had an opportunity to run the opposite direction. He did the right thing. David had an opportunity to wash his hands of the whole situation and disappear into the wilderness, but he did the right thing. You need permission to be stubborn so that You will keep doing the right thing until victory shows up. I'm going to go to church one more time. I'm going to pray one more time. I'm going to believe one more time. I'm going to shout victory one more time. It hasn't worked today, but that don't mean it won't work tomorrow. It didn't work in 2023. It don't mean it won't work in 2024. I'm going to keep doing the right thing until I get the right results. Can somebody say amen? So we have to be good people. we got to do the right thing. Thing. there's two different kinds of faith and I'll get out of your way there's delivering faith and there's sustaining faith mm. delivering faith is when God instantly brings Goliath down instantly cures cancer instantly gives you the promotion and the big raise instantly lets the house close when other people had already put in an offer that, that's delivering faith But you're not going to get delivering faith very often. Most of the time you're going to need sustaining faith. Faith that lasts longer than your enemy does. Because something happens to you in the struggle. And you don't like this because you you don't care about What did David learn from killing Goliath? Nothing. He already knew how to use a sling. All he did was throw one rock and defeated one giant. He, he learned nothing. But what do you think he learned from years of running from Saul? Living in caves. Having to find his own food. He was getting stronger. His character was being built. His integrity was being tested. He learned lessons he would have never learned had he not endured the season that God forced him to go into. God was still God. God was still on the throne when Goliath fell. That's the same God. He could have brought Saul down. And you have had victories in your life where God just did it. But now you've got something that you have prayed about. You've rebuked it. You've quoted Scripture over And you keep believing for it. And I'm telling you that the thing that's going to try to move you in 2024 is discouragement. Because you prayed about it, but you're still sick. You've prayed about it, but your kid's still on heroin. You've prayed about it, but you still can't find a break. You've prayed about it, but they still want to leave you. You've prayed about it, but you don't know how to mend your broken heart. I want to help you, Christian. Sometimes you don't beat your enemy. You have to outlast your enemy. Because here's the thing. Nowhere in your Bible do you find where David defeated Saul. He just outlisted Saul. He just kept doing the right things until Saul wasn't a problem anymore. And then he walked into his promise. It took years for him to get there. But then he walked into his promise. See, you got to outlast it. Paul said, None of these things move me. What? 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 What in the world is God thinking? What's it? who's he think I am? Put me in a mess like this and not rescuing me. Who does he think I am? Cause I wanna, I wanna quit. I don't want to do this I don't want to go through this this is not what I signed up for I've been married to the same woman for 30 years watch myself she got my back I've been married to the same woman for 30 years and we stood in front of her uncle, who was the preacher who performed our wedding ceremony. And we both said, do you take this person by you hold by the hand? Be your lawfully wedded wife to have hold to hold from this day forward till death. Listen to the language in this thing. Till death do you part. It's an eternity. It's not, but it feels like one. There's no marriage in heaven. <laughs> marriage just feels like an eternity. It don't last always. Till de- I mean, we're trying to warn you when we got you up there in front of us. And we're just, hey, do you do you take the- Oh yes, I do. Till death, like until one of you buries the other one. Is that what you're signing up for? We're trying to warn you with our language, right? We stood in front of a man 30 years ago and said yes. I scared to death. I was a 19 year old kid. Our first daughter attended our wedding. She was in the oven, but she was there. Now you know my history. Now, we said yes 30 years ago. You think that one yes has sustained me for 30 years? No, this has been a relationship that every 24 hours I've had to renew that yes. Because, yeah, I'm a preacher of the gospel. Big whoop-de-doo. Hell nor heaven is worried about that. You care about that. I care about that. But I could wake up any day I want to. She wouldn't do it. I'm lovely to live with. But <laughs> I could wake up any day I want to and go my own way. And nobody's going to stop me, including God. I could go file for a divorce. I could leave. Every day, I have to renew that yes. I said yes 30 years ago, and I meant yes 30 years ago. But that one yes has not sustained me for 30 years. I've had to say yes a lot. Sometimes hour to hour. Don't tell her. But something. Sometimes this is an hour-to-hour commitment, depending on what is going on in the house. You get my breath. Honey, it's seconds with you. (laughs) Seconds. You said yes 30 years ago and has never changed. (laughs) Because these baby blues are still as blue as they ever was. Look how cute he is. These baby blues are still as blue as they ever was. Your relationship to follow God is exactly the same way. You might have said yes 30 years ago, 30 months ago, or 30 days ago, but this is going to be a day-by-day commitment that you make. Yes, today I will follow the Lord. And by the way, I'm not talking about heaven or hell because you, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you know, you, you, you're locked into salvation. I'm talking about following him. I'm talking about pursuing him. I'm talking about chasing him. And I'm talking about you believing he is still with you even when you don't see the results you want to see. This has to be a day-to-day commitment because you have to outlast your enemy. Give me that scripture in Exodus if you don't mind. Uh, God told... <laughs> God told a man named Moses, he said, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses said, I ain't going to do it. Why would he listen to me? He don't know who I am. I'm a nobody. He said, go tell him to let my people go. So Moses went and he told Pharaoh. He said, my God said to let his people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't know who you are. Why would I listen to you or your God? Moses came back. Have you ever told your kid to go do something and they think they was right? (laughs) And they come back, I told you it wasn't going to work. That's the way Moses did God. He came back and said, God, I told you. I told you Pharaoh's not going to let him go. Just call I said though. So. You sent me out there and i look foolish. But look what the Bible says. I will make the king so stubborn that he won't listen to you. Moses kept doing the right thing. He kept going back. And every time he went back, God backed up his plague with another plague. Read the Old Testament. You find out... God was pulling some stunts now. Frogs in the bathtub and in the oven. Lice jumped out and darkness. And I mean, God was performing all of these plagues. And every time Moses went back, he did the right thing and did the right thing and did the right thing. And he wasn't getting the results he wanted, but he kept doing the right thing and he kept doing the right thing and he kept doing. Right and, he kept doing. and don't you know Moses was saying, God, how come this is so hard? Have any of you spent 2023 20, or a part of us saying, God, why is this so hard? Look what the Bible says God said I made the king stubborn Could it be And I'm going to get out of your way Could it be that some of the stuff you're fighting against Is stubborn because God planned it that way Oh we don't like this about God do we That's why I had to show it to you in the word Because if I just brought that out to your attention you say I don't like that I reject that I rebuke that word Pastor You can't rebuke this. Could it be that some of the stuff you're fighting against, you're wondering how come this isn't easier? How come this isn't coming the way I want it to? How come I haven't got through this? How come I haven't gotten over this? Could it be because God's the one that's made it stubborn? Because he's got a plan that you're not totally involved in? Because he's teaching you some stuff that you don't know right now? He's building some things in you that you wouldn't get any other way he's testing your fortitude and your character and your integrity your devotion and you're going to have to get up every day and say i'm going to do this again today i don't know how and i don't know when but i have i have enough trust in god that he's going to show up so i'm going to take one more step I don't know how long I'm going to have to fight this battle, and I am so tired and so weary, but I'm going to do it one more time. I've decided that this commitment's worth one more prayer, one more trip to church, one more day I'm going to read my Bible, one more day I'm going to have faith. And you just keep taking one step in front of the other. And no, it doesn't fall like Goliath always. Sometimes it takes years. The same God that defeated Goliath is still on the throne he doesn't change you do and that's the point what are you doing to help yourself change so that this enemy too will fall I just did a whole lot of preaching right there sometimes you won't defeat an enemy You'll just outlast him. I don't know how long this thing's gonna last. I just know I'm gonna last one day longer. Because my God shall supply all, somebody say all, all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's not just financial stuff. Because sometimes I don't need more money. Sometimes throwing money at a problem doesn't help it at all. Sometimes I need encouragement, sometimes I need more faith sometimes I need more resiliency sometimes I just need a hug and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. so I wonder I wonder here at the beginning of 2024 if there's anybody that wants to come up to this altar this morning and just spend some time saying I'm going to be stubborn enough to outlast this enemy. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know if it's your marriage. I don't know if it's your children. I don't know if it's your job. I don't know. Maybe it's just your inner turmoil with your own heart. But I have decided none of these things are going to move me. I've come too far to turn back now. I've been in this so long I don't even know what I'd go back to. Jesus is the only option I got. So that means I'm going to have to believe that brighter days are ahead for me. Because I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to surrender. He's my only hope. And if so, I'm going to be one more day one more belief one more prayer one more moment of praise I'm going to do this thing one more time if it's fear come and make an agreement with the Holy Ghost and say I'm I'm going to outstubborn fear if it's sin if it's addiction if if, if it's some sort of, of lack of faith come and Tell the Holy Ghost, say, Holy Ghost, I come into agreement with you. I'm gonna be more stubborn than this thing in 2024. I'm gonna I'm gonna last one day longer. This sickness has got me so twisted up, so bound up, and it didn't happen in 2023, but I believe it will happen in 2024, and I'm gonna keep believing until I see progress. And if that's you, this altar's open for you to come and prayer team, if. If you see someone up here, staff, if you see someone up here and you wouldn't mind coming, give us a hand in this altar. It's you who shut the lion's mouth.